Serbian fiction has been moved to current affairs. Hello, my droogs, and welcome to another horror show edition of our Pollywood. Dystopian fiction has been moved to current affairs. So grab yourself a tass of the old milky chai and slucius govorite about a clockwork orange. Um, so today we're talking about a clockwork orange. Uh, and it's a novel by Anthony Burgess and was adapted by, I think we're mo- mostly focusing on the film by Stanley yeah. Kubrick. Um, so the story sort of to give a synopsis is it's in a futuristic sort of violent society following um our protagonist alex um who's this teenager um he's you know a big fan of classical music and violence um yeah. and he sort of just like leads a gang of like other young delinquents and commits like mm-hmm. various crimes uh and such um but eventually gets caught uh and so he's arrested uh, and then given the opportunity to undergo this experimental rehabilitation procedure called the Ludovico technique, I think. I think so. Um, that's what it's called. So if anyone's familiar with Pavlov's dogs, um, that's an example of classical conditioning where um, a response to a certain stimulus is paired with another neutral stimulus. So, for example, um, the reaction of dogs salivating to the sound of the bell um came from them hearing hearing the, that bell neutral sim- stimulus at the same time as being exposed to the smell of you know food that mm-hmm. um causes them to salivate um whilst operant conditioning is more of the, along the lines of positive and negative reinforcement so this treatment this ludovico technique um is it ludovico ludovico um I think we could definitely use okay. both. I think they say Ludovico in the film, but Ludovico. I might be wrong about okay. that. But it looks bit, certainly very Italian, doesn't it? Yeah, Ludovico, <laughs> the, Ludov- the Ludovico technique um basically conditions our character against violence by associating it with feelings of intense nausea. Um and this has a number of ethical implications of government control and the sort of central theme of free will. Mm. Um bit you know a bit of like human nature i'd say um so i think we're gonna sort of dive into that a bit more because this is a this is a multi-layered dystopian world really isn't it and i think that's something mm. that we you know we obviously going to talk about um uh the ethics and the uh the sort of plausibility of, of that form of rehabilitation but it's not to say that you know the system is bad and the world outside is is better because actually mm. it's the world outside that is um already dystopian in many ways and it's interesting mm. because you mentioned that it's like futuristic but of course it's futuristic for 1962 or the 1970s <laughs> yeah. when the film was made uh you know yes. it's uh aesthetically you know has a lot of that sort of 70s futurism to it doesn't it um yes sure um but uh, it's certainly it's a world in which people basically don't feel safe to to go outside at night. Yeah. Uh, they're not safe answering their doors. And the kind of reason for that is that people like Alex and his droogs are um, out there causing, well, doing ultra violence, as he puts it, essentially for yes. its for its own sake, for their kind of their own entertainment. And yes. obviously sort of stealing for money and things like that, but much more than that. Um, just taking pleasure um in the violence itself um and there's a bit early in the film where there's a, 
a drunken tramp who is singing in an underpass and they beat him up before they do that he kind of uh, basically says he doesn't want to live in this world uh, because he says it's a stinking world because there's no law and order anymore it's a stinking world because it lets the young get on to the old like you done it's no world for an old man anymore so we know that this is you know this is a, a world where everything is kind of um collapsed and within that we have these young men who I suppose what we were we were sort of thinking about was this idea that they don't we don't know why I suppose why do they do the things that they do so yeah I don't know what are your thoughts about that side of things I mean we were discussing how this sort of interpretation of um violence and youth and sort of understanding why it happens completely ignores the idea that uh crime is a product of um social issues um because mm. we get uh a bit of a look at alex's general home life mm. um i would say seems to have parents who whilst they may not seem to be the most present would you say mm. yeah um, yeah still engage with him and he has a very comfortable home life mm. um a room to himself he has even a pet snake and a number of you know things going for him you know he's in school and stuff although in and out of school is what sort of um, yeah yeah in in reform school school. and uh not going to that very often by the yeah yeah which is yeah it's it's, I mean Alex's kind of character as a whole is it's because it's he's obviously this sort of violent and um criminal character but at the same time he has these like he has that sort of classic um intelligence mm. and um as he's quite witty and charismatic uh, which he, again he kind of uses in his favor um yeah. in various ways but i don't know i think that you know that gives us another sort of level when we're talking about mm. sort of these ideas of sort of what the what the circumstances are in which he's he's kind of mm. come uh, come to be as he is because he is in his way an authoritarian figure within his his gang um mm. you know, when they try to try to have their own thoughts about what they should do he basically um you know shoves them in the water and, and stabs dim in the hand and and so on so there's you know and the fact the very fact that you know dim is called dim and is belittled so much and so on is um you know again a sign of this this weird hierarchy that they've got going on um but you're right you know i think it's not as though his parents don't work i mean Interestingly, in the book, there's a mention of the fact that it's obligatory to work. So there's like a societal, well, sort of like a planned economy where people are put into to jobs made to do them. That's not necessarily apparent in the film because it's not quite so much background, but certainly there's a there's a culture of work with mm-hmm. his parents, isn't there? And as you say, you know, yes, he has he has his his own room. He's he's you know well fed. He's got the structure provided by. Um, a system that is trying to stop him growing up into a criminal so you know maybe one of the things that it's trying to do is sort of say well I think it it, it is trying to say let's not pander to this sort of liberal view that uh, that you know criminals are all a victim of of their circumstances you know some people just enjoy being yeah I guess bad. This sort of, yeah uh, like sort of ultimate evil like sort of you mm. know in, internal evil that you can't really change in someone yeah um, I mean there's a there's there's quite a lot of religious stuff in in um 
the book and the film and mm. uh, there's been quite a lot of written about this in terms of sort of the the different theologies behind it but um certainly there's uh there's quite a strong sense i think of the good and the evil as two things that are, are black and white and alex basically saying you know i um i was glad to be on the uh, the side of the devil essentially you know that was like he chosen that he uses various bits of language not necessarily quite that explicit but that say mm. that so you know there's an idea that you know it, it's a choice that he's made or that he doesn't see kind of the consequences of of his actions until yes. he's actually caught um but there's also, I mean, I suppose if we were to say, you know, take the flip side and argue that, you know, there is something here about the society in which he he lives. He's obviously, he's not a unique mm. sort of psychopath. It's sort of suggesting that there's almost like a psychopathic gen- generation here. Yeah, but look at, you know, academic um, or something. Yeah, mm. and um, particularly among, like, the young, um, mm-hmm. this idea that young people essentially what kind of go through a, a phase of this of sort of you know um what re- uh, sort of rebelling against society or of complete like selfishness um which again is not really a narrative that I'm very comfortable with but I think it is one that Burgess is trying to put across I mean one of the things that we uh were talking about is the fact that in the the film obviously we've got characters who are played by men in their 20s um, yes. Yeah. Uh, classic sort of, you know, teenagers played by older actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's it adds to that shock value when he says, uh, you know, and I've got to get up for school in the morning. Or yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, um, but in the book specifically, we're told that he is um, only 15 yeah. when all of this happens, um, and that you know the other Jukes are maybe a little bit older, but essentially, um, you know, these are these are all people of school age, um, and that is way way more troubling when we start yeah. to to sort of view that. What about the uh, sort of drugs and alcohol elements? How do you think that plays into kind of their behaviour? I mean, so they're depicted sort of frequenting this weird milk bar which mm. i don't know what that's meant to really be a metaphor for is that so i'm sure i mean it's there's a reference to maloco plus which is mm-hmm. basically that i think the idea is you didn't have to have a license to sell milk with drugs in right okay basically. okay <laughs> um, uh in the book they drink alcohol in pubs as well but that's obviously a okay. real aesthetic focus of the um of the film it's on the milk bar that's obviously their their home and i don't know whether I mean, it sort of plays on that idea of like milk is something that's drunk by children. Yes. Yeah. And then you've turned it into like an adult drink and it yes. sort of fires them up for the ultraviolence and so on. So and it's also kind of, of it. a very, like inherently, especially in the aesthetics of the film, like mm. inherently sexual thing. Yeah. Like even the way that it's poured from like the statue of a woman's breast yeah. has like yeah. suddenly become quite weird and sexual. Yeah. The sexual imagery, I think, mm. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of reference to uh, the old in out, in out as it's mm. uh, in the, in the book, but in the film, yeah, I think that that aesthetic is really developed um, so that this is a very evidently sexualized yeah very quite provocative yeah yeah you know it's a very strong misogynistic element to the sort of like the women's bodies being used as tables and and Mm. things like that so um but not only frequented by men and not only frequented by the nadsat generation either yeah yeah like professionals there as well so not clear whether that in itself is supposed to say that this is not really you know countercultural. this is quite normalized 
um, which would say that there's a whole societal factor here if you've got places that create this kind of uh, sort of environment in which young people can can go out and uh, thrive. There's also something, I think, about um, the parole officer, particularly in the film, um, is, again, very strong similarities in the film, the book, but the aesthetic, again, of that scene when his, mm. um, what did I say, his name was Deltoid, I think. Yes. Deltoid comes around to his house to check on him, which sort of suggests to us, oh, there's some sort of system in place to to try and stop young offenders from reoffending and so on. Mm. But that characterization of him really undermines that. Um, yes. Um, yeah, again, there's that kind of, so he's kind of talking about, um, talking to Alex about him not getting into trouble and you know he's he's sort of hinting at the fact that he knows about what you know sort of activities Alex gets up to in his spare time and then he just ends up groping him at the end just, that, it's just <laughs> yeah. again that sort of hyper weird sexualization but also reflects that even the like the adults and people mm. who are meant to be these forces of kind of order are also abusing this sort of culture of yeah. like sexualization and yeah and, and of yeah. and a sort of you know this sort of world of of sexual violence yeah and sexual um, violence yeah, yeah. Um, i don't know yeah it i mean it's 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 really weird just because I don't know how much the book does it, but it, it's almost like, I think I, let me just find this little quotation. Yeah, I think um, it, there was a New Yorker review of the film titled Stan, Stanley Strange Love by Pauline Kyle and called it pornographic because of how it dehumanised Alex's victims whilst highlighting the suffering of like the protagonist himself. Because mm. um, it does really sort of, play up on like the sort of notes of sympathy as the story goes on yeah. from initial yeah I don't know but especially with that parole officer it's kind of like Alex is not to the same extent that he causes his own victims mm. harm but also is sort of predated by yeah 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 I, I I completely agree with you there um and one of the things that I thought was really interesting about Anthony Burgess talking about this uh, when he wrote a, an essay sort of really challenging, um, I guess, the popularity of, of mm. the book that he, he somewhat rejected um, later in his career. But uh, he talks about this idea that um, he as a writer and he thinks that writers take a sort of vicarious pleasure in the violent actions of the characters that they write so basically saying while he would not either have the moral character or perhaps the bravery to go out and do the sorts of things that Alex does he takes um, a sort of perverted pleasure in writing Alex doing them um, so almost suggesting that he believes that kind of this is in everybody's nature mm. this is a man thing particularly is unclear because women are consistently victims in the, the mm. text um but, uh, you know, like everybody wants to do this. It's just that society doesn't permit us to do it. Um, and it's only when those sort of mores break down that uh, that everyone will, will go and behave that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there is a there is a whole social sort of situation here, I think, where, as you say, you've got this parole officer who seems to abuse his, his power. Um, we've got... Um, Police, which we'll come on to in a minute, to uh, you know have a whole set of other issues um, going on, but um, a society in which 
Alex and his friends can access um, drugs that clearly enhance their appetite for um, violence. Um, parents who, although he's in this good home, are basically completely unaware of what it is he gets up to. Um, so the sort of, you know, the nonchalance or the the general desire not to pay attention to his um, behaviour seems to play in as well. But almost like a sort of uh, any systems that are in place are so lax um, or so based around kind of personal power uh, rather mm. than actually doing good. Um, all of that might sort of uh, play in. And of course, Alex also doesn't see himself as being bad per mm. se, in comparison with other criminals and he talks quite a bit about uh was it meeting leering criminals and perverts ready to dribble all over a luscious young male chick like your storyteller so again what you were saying about kind of his his victimization is definitely a big part of the narrative how much of a problem do you think it is that we get such a that essentially we we gain sympathy for alex whilst not spending any time over his victims and indeed uh, F. Alexander, the only victim we really do encounter again, is not a an appealing character himself. I, th- I think it is a little bit problematic over the mm. fact that we do gain sympathy for this outright very unlikable character. Mm. But you know, I, I, but I guess that's a product of the story being from his perspective, mm-hmm. and um, especially I think it leans into that sa- satire of the sort of self-indulgent like Mm. criminal youth even the way that he describes himself as like luscious um, (laughs) it's just yeah I mean I don't know I I also I guess sort of speaks more towards like further towards like the human condition of like how Mm. we really only think about like the sympathy to those we feel closest to Mm -hmm. whilst like the sort of faceless victims of crimes aren't really considered Mm -hmm. I mean because we follow Alex along his story through his perspective um and whilst I think he does suffer quite a lot as we'll sort of get into the um Ludovico technique Mm -hmm. um further on I don't know I I find it personally a little bit problematic but I guess again the story is a focus on him and like rather than the victims and their story I guess that's just a sort of separate narrative that should be told still but I don't know I yeah I mean I mean I think that Burgess probably did mean that to be Mm. problematic and in a way I think that having just reread the book and rewatch the film I do think that although the same victim kind of card and perspective is the same through both of them they've both got the same first person narrative they're very very close to one another there is something about um the film which actually slightly lessens I think some of his uh crimes some of it's omitted just because the brevity of the film and so on so I wonder whether actually it's if if we took the whole picture into account then um uh, you know, as as Burgess wrote it, then perhaps it's it's you know he's even worse. But I also think you know to to sort of flip that all on its head that one of the things that we you know, I feel quite strongly about, um, and we'll come on to sort of prisons in a minute, but is this idea that just because somebody has committed a crime does not mean that they can be um, subjected to sort of any behaviours as a consequence. It doesn't alleviate all of their rights it doesn't stop them from being a potential victim themselves 
Yes. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's really important that we remember the voices of of the victims mm. um, of Alex and and others, which I think are omitted. But actually, to focus on the the one that we perhaps feel less comfortable with and what is done to him actually is quite a, quite a bold mm. move. So obviously, one of the things that you know happens is that we have a state in which the police are firstly ineffectual. I think, but secondly, downright corrupt mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, I mean, what impression did you get of kind of policing from the film? I think the the police at the beginning of the film sort of act in the way that they do in our society. I think their main mm-hmm. role in the first half is basically sort of come along and arrest Alex at the mm-hmm. at the call of um, the woman at, who he next targets. So, yeah, so in that sense, you know, they, you know, if you call the police, as the cat lady they does, are, um, cat lady, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's too late for her, but uh, nonetheless, you know, they do, they do respond. They do yeah, in respond, that way. But, but I think, oh yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, but that said, you know, let's think about everything that Alex has, has done prior to this, to which there wasn't a police response. That's um, true. Um, which I, I guess, however, is like a reflection in their sort of same almost um, uselessness or mm-hmm. in, inability to create order. Mm-hmm. But I guess there's so much like, I don't know how much the police can do without the sort of knowledge. Like a, a lot of the places that um Alex and his drug sort of visit are quite secluded and without mm-hmm. the you know because otherwise if uh, are you would you be living in a police state if they had eyes and ears everywhere sure yeah time? absolutely so, yeah um, so it's something balanced there between yeah, kind of, you know wanting more community policing and not wanting uh, uh surveillance and exactly you know, every corner. Um, mm. although however the sort of issues uh like come in when um so the author, I believe the mm-hmm. what's his name? F. Alexander. F. Alexander. See the nice balancing of names there between F. Alex Alexander. and Alexander. Scholars have, have written about that. <laughs> ah, yeah. But yes, F. Alexander talks about how the state uh has begun to employ sort of what does he say, like bar- young barbarians or something. Uh, recruiting brutal young roughs into the police, proposing brutal debilitation and will sapping techniques of t- conditioning. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think the big twist is when Alex is sort of wandering these streets alone after he is released from his mm. um, treatment and discovers that his old um, gang of delinquents has become part of the police force, which mm. they subsequently abuse this power in the same way that they did in the same way they abuse their power as like a young gang yeah um you know so there's the sort of implication of where you you know can you really which, trust the police and no i know which i think has you know massive ramifications mm. when we're looking at all of the investigations at the moment in the uk into police conduct and so on this mm-hmm. idea that uh the police force might attract a certain type of um person perhaps particularly a certain type of young man um who then uh, has power that can be uh, wielded both in the force of their job and also to um, allow them, you know, we've got uh, uh, huge warning signs that were missed in the Sarah, Sarah Everard case, for example, and the uh, the general kind of, I suppose, follow up to that, to recognising the kind of um, police abuse of powers, particularly sexual abuse, but uh, obviously the sort of, you know, taking the law into their own hands that they do with Alex in the film as well. One of the things that happens is when Alex is taken into custody and the way that he is he is treated there, which, again, you know, I think 
there's plenty of old kind of police dramas and so, mm. so on that show exactly that sort of behavior so that perhaps it's of its time a little bit but down to the point at which he's spat on by um his parole officer oh yeah it's really dehumanizing in a way that doesn't seem in any way beneficial to their their case um, no. Although Alex, of course, is busy pleading that it wasn't him; it was um, the treachery of his friends who led him astray, <laughs> and so on. So I suppose he's he's not uh, quite telling the truth there. <laughs> One of the things that I think that happens to Alex is that he does get overall kind of uh, manipulated by the state, uh, and you've mentioned that you know that happens both in prison and also after he is released. Um, I just have one thought about the sort of the context of his release before we get onto the sort of penal system itself, which is that I think that this is a really big problem, which is that, OK, he's supposed to be cured and so on. Mm. But have we got there a narrative overall of the release of offenders into society in such a way that they actually end up either uh, becoming victims themselves or of course uh, re-offending because of the situation in which they find themselves when Alex is let out of prison he goes back to his uh, P&M in their home mm-hmm. only to find they've effectively they've replaced, replaced him. him yeah <laughs> which is just yeah so he therefore has you know no parents to take him in because they yep. They literally have no lodgings for him. So he's both homeless and mm-hmm. jobless mm-hmm. and qualificationless because he never went, he didn't ever yeah. really finish school. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, he is still upstream from a path back into crime just simply from the situation, like, situational, yeah. you know, the circumstances that he put in. Absolutely. Um, and gone out of his prison. I think that so that was something that really struck me that I think this is a really huge issue um, that we don't properly prepare prisoners for reintegration into society through things like uh, homes and jobs and so on. And that's partly because of a severely underfunded probation service. But I think there's lots of other elements to it as well. But then there's also the victimisation element, which is, I think, leads us quite nicely into this uh, sort of question about the penal system, because I feel quite strongly that we are not very good at accepting that time has been served, punishment has been done, and that um, it shouldn't allow a person to continue to be victimised in society based on a crime that they've committed in the past. So the idea of how difficult it is for ex-convicts to find work, for example, the idea of the uh, quite an invasive uh, system in that, that can find out about past crimes. The internet really hasn't helped about this because, of course, newspapers are there forever. And it, and certainly certain crimes really being like they, they're completely unforgivable. Now, again, maybe this is me being kind of a, a wishy-washy liberal lefty, but it seems to me that, you know, Alex, in a way, you know, whether he was cured or whether he'd served his time, deserved to be protected from, from two things, actually. One was the fact that he's thinking about taking his own life, Mm-hmm. And then secondly, from being attacked by a bunch of old people with hitting him and things like that. I don't know. I mean, other people might think otherwise, you know, that this you know, ultimately he got a 14 year sentence, which is mm. you know, not not very long for his crimes, although he's also a 15 year old. I mean, this is another yeah. problem that I think, you it's know, this idea... so young. Also, as a 15 year old, why is he putting being put in a in a, a prison with adults that are literally yeah, described exactly. as preying on him? That's yeah. a bit of an issue, probably. It is. Um, uh, that at least yeah. I think wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be the case. Although, yeah. you know, I don't. I think he's he's told you this is your final chance, and the next time you'll be tried as an, an adult or whatever. Um, mm. 
it feels a bit more plausible in the film because he seems that little bit older. Um, yeah. But, yes. Uh, yeah, sure. uh, but yeah, you're right. You know, if he is a child, um, there's a whole other element here. And I think that one of the things that Burgess seems not to agree with is this idea that children are. I don't know, they remain children and and should be treated as such and have a, a level of kind of uh, innocence or whatever that seems mm. to be completely stripped. One of the things I think I mentioned to you is the fact that um, he in the book they explicitly say that both the other gang and the woman that they're attacking, who is a you know a grown woman in the um, uh, in the film, she's um, supposed to be ten years old in the book, and likewise. Um, I don't know what you thought, and we'll come on to sort of sex later on, I'm sure. But when um, Alex takes the two women back from the record store where they've been sucking on their phallic lollies mm. and then he invites them home, how consensual did you think that that scene was? The sort of the the, the, the high I think speed. That was the only, I mean, I'm not sure. I it was yeah. I mean, it's a very long scene of just like high speed. Yeah, very sped up. Just like clothes on, clothes off. One woman, yeah, two women. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I, I I mean, it was the most con- obviously consensual mm. sex scene throughout yeah. the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, ultimately, I don't. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of um sort of the women eventually putting their clothes back on and then there they go again yeah exactly um but it doesn't seem like it was supposed to be played as a rape scene no, whereas in the book oh. he definitely gets the the girls um junk or high or whatever and oh, really? um then he rapes them and that it, you know and treats it as like oh they were bunking off school so this was part of their education so you know these bits mm. about I say about the book where there is this just extra levels um yes that make him seem so much worse yeah, I mean, you know yeah i mean it's it's interesting to see how only having seen the film i thought that was already extremely provocative and even yes. with it's like critical reception i think it got banned in a number of places mm-hmm. like the book still goes further that i'd say like from yeah. what i've the more you sort of yeah. explain about what happens um but i guess there's sort of a bit of disparity between having that extra visual sort of way of storytelling in a film. I, I don't think know. that what is sort of told in a book, mm. which is essentially it's non-explicit in the book. So it's mm. not there aren't, you know, there aren't explicit sexual scenes per se. In the film, there are obviously more explicit sexual scenes. And therefore I suppose it has real risks of veering into the pornographic and how far mm. does that want to go. And actually it, it you know Kubrick obviously adopts this very strong sort of sexualized aesthetic, but I don't think there's any gratuitous mm. sexual violence on screen. There's a lot of yeah. implied sexual violence yeah. and so on. So when that scene is played out, it's much more just about kind of, I suppose, showing the part of sex, the role of sex, and you know, with two women at once and, and repeated sex over the course of an afternoon of this boy who's supposed to be in school, mm. I suppose. You know, that's kind of what it achieves. This whole theme of sort of sex in the film particularly, where it's so omnipresent, what do you think it was trying to say about sex in that society? And it's like what it means for Alex I mean I think there's a bit of like it treats it as a bit of a commodity it doesn't have the same connotations of like closeness and Mm -hmm. committal I'd say Mm -hmm. there is still more I mean I think like in our modern society there Mm -hmm. is a bit more of I guess a widespread hookup culture which Mm -hmm. I think both has its like benefits and drawbacks whilst Mm -hmm. I think in the real world I think that brings it open a more comfortable and sort of relaxed conversation about sex 
Uh, I think that you know it has you know it has its pros and cons, but yeah, here I think it's not really shown as. I, I guess that's the sort of character that like Alex is, but yeah, it's very self, sort of self indulgent, more focused on your mm -hmm. own pleasure sort of sense. Yeah, I think what well, this is sort of my assessment of it. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think it does is it's for me create quite a a negative like. Mm. A negative view of sex either mm. if we take the take the, the the two girls from the the record store you know you talk about kind of hookup culture and so on it sort of mm -hmm. uh, has a negative view of that because it becomes part of alex's world and therefore yeah it becomes negative. more of his, like and his, it becomes uh, related seeds, yeah. yeah it becomes related to his attitude to rape so this idea yeah. that, you know that's that's how you know he has lost it. and even the language you know we haven't really talked much about nadsat but calling it the old in out in out is mm. <laughs> you know it's it, it's just it, brings it's, it down to it's like fundamental just like yeah panics. yeah but then i thought as well you know there are other places in the film where i found it quite hard to did decide exactly what they were doing with the kind of erotic imagery so we talked about the the milk bar and i think there you know it sort of creates into this sort of society where misogyny is rife and and so on but in the cat lady's house and this is unique to the film there's obviously all that sexual art everywhere erotic mm. art everywhere and why why was why did kubrick do that do you think or what do you think it added to that scene she wasn't just a woman in a house full of cats she was a woman doing sexy yoga and then having <laughs> you know pictures of of vulvas and that enormous um, yeah and that weird <laughs> sort of dick statue oh, on the side yeah. <laughs> um i i guess that is reflective of because it's meant to be this futuristic mm. society maybe kubrick's yeah. sort of a prediction of how sex is going to be so kind of like post, like a, post the 60s post, it's now yeah, getting post sort of, the 60s yeah, like, yeah. you know so everyone's like more like open about free it, love so becoming more free and love. more free um, yeah. one of the things that I think was really effective was obviously that in that See, you know, the major crime for which Alex is actually caught and convicted is what he believes is the accidental killing of a, a woman but it's in fact basically that he smashed her in the mouth with this giant phallic statue mm. And it's, as I say, in the book, it's a, it's not a penis statue. It's just a, I think it's a silver statue of a girl or something. Kind of like. But um, obviously it like concatenates sort of rape and mm. murder into sort of one act by putting yeah. the sort of the phallic imagery in there. Um, and of course it makes it more of a misogynistic act, I think, mm. in the way that it's portrayed. Um, but I just wondered whether, I don't know, there's something very uncomfortable about this way in which sex is reduced to something bad throughout mm. the film to the extent that when we get onto the Ludovico technique do you think Alex can have sex at all after that oh no not at all yeah in terms of it being reduced to a completely bad thing they stop him from being able to commit any sexual acts whatsoever mm. whether it was consensual whether yeah. it was not so which again so it's a bit like it's a bit yeah. like what like neutering rapists or you know yeah, that, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know rendering them impotent uh permanently mm -hmm. castrating people you know which you know it then takes us into a whole other area that you know mm. and it, this felt very very current to me because we've talked before about the rise in widespread use of pornography among young people and particularly yeah. the fact that young men are so universally um sort of bombarded with it from uh you know a really young age and i think it's you know uh i've got the, the stats somewhere we used before but like is it most 13 year old boys have, have uh, watched porn and the fact that then their first sexual encounters tend to be based on what they've seen in porn films yeah. and in you know 
many more cases of sort of strangulation of um, sexual partners and things like that because they think that that's, that's desirable awesome. for, yeah, for everyone. Terrible. Yeah. Um, and I wondered if this, you know, the world of a clockwork orange kind of perhaps reflects that idea that one of the things that happens in a more openly sexual culture is that there's more exposure to sexual imagery and mm. certainly instance of porn that sexual imagery is not well regulated so what sort of sex you're seeing mm-hmm. can be very um narrow and potentially you know violent sex and so on so yeah so I just thought that was a really interesting thing I mean the aesthetic mm. is very powerful but I also wondered whether it's made a very negative view of, of sex generally one of the things that doesn't get focused on really very much is the fact, you know, is the idea of sort of sexual abuse in, in prisons. I mean, mm. it's alluded to, but it's not a big thing um, other mm. than, you know, that he's being hit on by these leering. Uh, and it is, oh, it is disgusting. So when he's in chapel and he's sitting up the front doing his little turning of the hymn, mm. thing and he's being leered at by... Yeah, he's getting leered at and winks at and sort of, yeah. Um, so that's alluded to, but there's a slightly less emphasis, I think, than perhaps, maybe there's more in the book, uh, but... There doesn't seem to be as much emphasis on sort of violence within prisons as no, perhaps right. you'd expect to see. He talks about it. Um, what was that quotation that we had? Uh, it had not been edifying, indeed not being in this hellhole in human zoo for two years now, being kicked and told chocked by brutal waters. So again, you know, this sort of brings us into this question about suitability of prisons and things like mm-hmm. that. And, you know, not to talk too much about the differences in the book, but I do think there's a really, really vital difference, which is that, again, it's referenced in the film that they're worried about prison overcrowding. They haven't got anywhere to put people. And so this technique is a way of like fixing them so that they've got fewer people in prisons. In the book, they're in a cell for four, I think, and a fifth man is put in the cell. Mm-hmm. So there's no bunk. So he's expected to basically share with somebody who's already in this cell. And basically he tries to share with Alex um, and there's, there is a, it's not an explicit sexual assault on Alex, but there's, you know, something goes on there. Mm. And anyway, as a consequence, the other cellmates beat this guy up and Alex kills him, um, beats him, kicks him to death. Mm -hmm. And that is really the reason that he gets chosen to have the technique done to him okay not yeah. just because he's sort of you know spoke up in the courtyard Whilst, or whatever. yeah yeah i feel like there's a in the film it's more of his own sort of mm. um social skills and he sort yeah. of sweet talks this priest yeah is like a preacher in this prison about mm. you know and he kind of uses like i think there's a quite a big emphasis on how he like manipulates the people around him and sort of yeah. plays up to his ultimate like evil nature maybe yeah you know i think that's an important part of it but i think that they you know there's a a much more violent turning point in in the book which also really reinforces again this problem with the prison system you know this idea that ultimately yeah you know this idea that you know you just keep packing people into prisons and there's no um room for them and that you know leads us on i think really nicely to this big question which is like why do we put people into prisons? What is the penal system for? And there's quite a lot of discussion about this, both from the Minister of the Interior and also the governor with their different views on kind of like what prison is for. And certainly this idea that, you know, basically the minister is like, oh, common criminals should just be cured. And uh, that's, you know, 
Ludovico technique is obviously playing into that. They punishment means nothing to them. They enjoy their so-called punishment. And the governor is basically like, you know, an eye for an eye. If someone hits you, you hit back. Why then should not the state very severely hit back by you brutal offenders, not hit back also? But the new view is to say, no, the new view is that we turn the bad into good, all of which seems to be grossly unjust. So there's a whole conversation. Why do we send people to prison? I mean, I'm not even sure whether to go... I was going to mention for the eye eye for an eye sort of thing. And I Mm. actually, I'm not sure where, in my personal view, where the prison system comes in, in sort of, I guess it's a form of punishment, but I think the eye for an eye sort of conversation comes more into the fact when um, Alex gets released from prison encounters, the the old Mm. homeless man that he beat up Mm. and he then gets that same treatment from him or when he runs into his old droogs. Mm. Um, and gang mates and then they beat him up the same way that he treated them and yeah eye for an eye with f alexander yeah which I think where it more comes through is like he sort of gets those same treatments or punishments that is like a view of basically i suppose yeah taking the victims and saying that mm. what victims want is for the person who harmed them to, to suffer, suffer the, same, the same way that, yeah, yeah exactly which of course is and i wrote about the the death penalty in this mm. uh last newsletter that we did but um you know it's one of the sort of arguments for the death penalty you know deprive of life somebody who has taken life or whatever for um uh in situations of murder um but i suppose it's uh, well i don't think it's i don't think it's necessarily the most you know common or helpful view of what prisons are for i mean you're right in a way that i think because the prison system doesn't seem so bad necessarily i mean it's not pleasant but it's not awful for what is it you know apart from not having his liberty yes and having to spend all his time with criminals, which he obviously doesn't like. Um, Alex doesn't actually have that bad a time of it, and partly is because he seems to manipulate the system um, mm-hmm. and uh, makes them think that he's, you know, converted to uh, some sort of righteous Christianity because he's yes. reading the Bible all the time. <laughs> when actually he's picturing himself, yeah, as the, you, the you violent, violent Old Testament characters, <laughs> yes. or, or dressed in was it like dressed in high Roman fashion, oh, that, being the one a, to flagellate Jesus. So funny. Yeah. and then yeah exactly i mean because it is from his perspective you still get those fantasies even when he sort of claims he's so yeah it was it was brilliant that was actually really funny yeah yeah but yeah i mean so uh i think also what i wanted to discuss while on the topic of the ideas of like freedoms and stuff Mm. is i because i feel like there's two different types of like freedom that he like suffers you know the sort of taking away of is mm-hmm. if he's in prison he he suffers the freedom of like not being able to move or really mm-hmm. those sort of you know all the sort of privileges that you lose from being in prison whilst yeah. having this ludovico technique performed mm-hmm. on him completely removes any sort of internal free will that he mm-hmm. might have like he's not physically restricted but he's restricted by his own psychology at this point yeah. uh, but so i don't really know because they're both a two different types of I feel like restricted freedoms well absolutely yeah I definitely with you on that I mean I think that we've I sort of tried to categorize different views of what punishment whether it's prison or whether it's you know these kind of uh, uh techniques so what do we want to get out of the the penal system and one is obviously the sort of eye for an eye thing um although many people would perhaps argue well that's isn't that reducing the state and the, mm. you know the status represented the people to the level of the criminal um 
there's an interview that I referenced in the the newsletter um, from a lawyer and campaigner um, who particularly works with people on death row and and works against uh, campaigns against the death penalty. Basically, he says, you know, if if a if a murderer took their victim mm-hmm. and basically held them for 35 years on the threat that they were going to kill them at any time. Mm we would think of that as being an absolutely heinous behaviour. But if the state does it to a prisoner on death row, we say that that's their right. Um, So I feel that there's something, you know, about not reducing the state to the same standards as people who commit criminal behaviour. But of course, there's other things. There's like, you know, well, it keeps the community safe. If you remove people from the streets, I think that for victims, this is a really important thing. And it's one of the issues at the moment with it taking so long for rape cases to get to court, for example, that, Mm. you know, people are still their rapist may still be in their environment and and so on. Um, So safety of the community seems to be important, but also reform. I mean, reform seems to me to be the, you know, single most important thing that we don't necessarily do very well, but basically putting, when people come out of prison, they'll be in a position where they're less likely to commit crimes than when they went into prison. And, Prison is not necessarily, I would say, I think the best environment for doing that. But of course, that's what Burgess is taking and satirising, isn't it? This idea, you know, well, we'll reform people, not through actually getting them to think differently. Um, the chaplain's busy trying to do it by uh, telling them they're going to burn in hell unless they live better mm. lives. Not necessarily very effective either. But uh, yeah, you know, it brings us on to the Ludovico technique as something that essentially tries to achieve that, you know, reducing pressure on the prisons because in two weeks you can turn people around and make them good. And uh, there's a, a quotation, of, uh, the bit where the minister basically presents to his audience Alex as a kind of experiment guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, uh, what a change is here ladies and gentlemen from the wretched hoodlum the state committed to unprofitable punishment some two years ago unchanged after two years unchanged do i say not quite prison taught him a false smile the rubbed hands of hypocrisy the fawning greased obsequious leer other vices prison taught him as well as confirming in him those he had long practiced before another issue with prisons obviously Mm. our party promised to restore law and order and to make the streets safe for the ordinary peace-loving citizen this pledge is now about to become a reality. The problem of criminal violence is soon to be a thing of the past, but enough of words. And then he goes on to sort of, you know, demonstrate this. But that raises another question, which is to what extent is is the, uh, the penal system about uh, politicians being seen to do something about a problem that they're not necessarily tackling? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of the things that I think the uh, minister says, which again is supposed to hint at this kind of, you know, authoritarian government uh, issue is that, they need to be able to put pri- political prisoners into to prison. So uh, they need space for presumably all of their opponents <laughs> where they're currently keeping people like Alex. But yeah, OK, right. So Ludoico technique and kind of what it does in terms of free will, because you're absolutely right. Uh, this is uh, this is one of the, the big issues. And the governor didn't like it because it was too easy on prisoners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the minister didn't like it because he thinks that it removes uh, choice and doesn't actually create um, goodness because if you can't do bad, you cannot choose good. And mm-hmm. uh, F. Alexander and his buddies, uh, they don't like it because it uh, is uh, part of the apparatus of totalitarianism mm-hmm. um, and it turns him into a clockwork orange where the, the, the name of the book comes from, uh, like a, a little um, turning toy that has none of the uh, good properties of an actual orange. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, so these are all things that we could say about this. But I don't know, I mean, what what were your thoughts? I mean, there's a sort of scientific element here, I suppose, as well as a philosophical element. Yeah, um, I mean, so the film, like, well, the story's meant to be a critique on, uh, I think, this book by B.F. Skinner, Beyond Freedom and Dignity, which sort mm-hmm. of argues that, it, it argues on lines of that the technology of human behaviour can basically be used to promote further the progression of human society and um, sort of Skinner calls it like cultural engineering, which I think I, sh- I, I might read a bit more on it, maybe. Mm, potential, potential thing to write in the newsletter. Mm, about. Yeah, that'd be uh, useful. Tune in for future editions. Mm. Yeah, Burgess called it one of the most dangerous books ever written. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it basically takes um, the te- techniques of operant conditioning, like a reward and punishment sort of sy- system, to condition Alex to have this internal nausea arise whenever he has visual cues of sex or violence. Um, which yeah, is even sort of as we we're talking about when we we're talking about sex a bit before, completely even stops him have- from having any sex whatsoever, whether mm-hmm. it's positive or negative. Um, which could be like possibly part of like even sort of some sort of like eugenics based sort of yeah that's a very good of, point isn't if it they talk, yeah. if they, said, it does it does yeah. link it, it's like chemical castration but it's sort chemical of chemical castration, castration yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. and especially with the themes of this sort of um sort of integrated evil that you're sort of born with this you know because it, it like alex's character it's not it's not really been shown to be a product of something i mean maybe potentially a product of the society that he grows up yeah. in general but yeah. um, although you know not everybody is turned into alex or that's exactly you know, that's so true there's obviously exactly. widespread yeah. sort of psychopathic use this is you know, yes. not a unique problem but it's obviously yeah it, it, it he is still an a sort of outstanding character in his field of uh ultraviolet behavior so yeah and and with that uh, the interesting thing that um there's a bit of a twist within this experiment is that um with his love of classical music alex actually develops a classical conditioning um behavior with the 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 sound of hearing um beethoven's ninth i think Mm -hmm. Um, gets the same reaction which i think is used as a Again, in the sort of satirical sense, as, as a form of punishment for him. Yeah. It's an interesting one insofar as I think that it's, it feels obviously like, you know, quite an ex- extreme mm-hmm. example of, yes. um, of this um, sort of thing. Um, I noticed that I wrote in newsletter one uh, mm-hmm. about uh, The Last Ship, and one of the seasons of The Last Ship includes um, a megalomaniacal doctor who is basically trying, whilst curing um, a disease that is spread through crops worldwide, he has a way of uh, basically um, genetically engineering, I suppose, against the the, uh, the crop virus. But um, he takes this as an opportunity to um, also introduce something into the world's food population that will essentially prevent violent acts. That's the idea. So it's a very similar idea in a way, except instead of you know psychologically programming somebody, it's basically saying that these people would still desire to do it, but can't do it. And there too, it's treated as something that you know is wrong, is bad. You know, this idea of, of basically trying to sort of without any free will remove um, people's 
ability to do violence because he thinks it will make the world a better place as a consequence. So, yeah, I suppose, you know, what is the question here is really why is it that apart from the fact that, as we say, you know, it conditions music as a side effect, it has this effect that he can't even have kind of good Mm. sexual relationships. He can't defend himself. Can't defend himself, no. Potential issue. But if we just took it as a like basic sort of premise of stopping him from doing the things that he was doing nightly involving rape and uh theft and beatings and murder, um, why is it so bad? Why uh, shouldn't the well, state do this to remove his like from society? Well, I think there's that same element element of um I think you said before about if he is unable to do bad there is no choice to do good um as well as just like general elements of like probably consent around the fact that if you know i think there's a huge thing in um science about informed consent about Mm -hmm. what sort of procedures that you might go through especially if you're participating in um certain research studies and stuff Mm -hmm. which is an issue here where i think it is not explained to alex don't don't read it just sign just sign another yeah. one of those another one of those scenes that i get you know there's so much sort of humor in the film mm. that um i think is unique to the sort of visual effects of it all but um the way in which he has to stay behind the line but then he's supposed to sign for things on the desk yeah. and he has to do that like, massive stretch for yes of course yeah. he can't read the document because he's like at arm's length from it and mm. so you know he just and they're not even clear with him to start with you know you're just all, yeah watch watch some videos um yes. so yes you're right I think that there's a real question there again you know and some people probably say well one of the you know maybe one of the rights he loses in in prison is the you know the right to to specify kind of you know that they can't do um certain remedial things to him but that's, but that's a human like human it's right. a human right exactly so, and this is the thing and I think a lot of this comes down to this idea about human rights for me uh which of course again big debate at the moment you know lots yes. of people say oh human rights terribly woke or whatever and um terribly uh, woke yeah (laughs) (laughs) but um you know i mean i i'm i think you know i'm one of these people who thinks that that prisoners should have the vote um i i feel quite strongly that there are certain certain things that um the state doesn't have the right to to take away um including their say to say in the state as it were what the state can do which is only in this country basically um through the ballot box so I, that's what um i think i think that should be part of prison reform but obviously you know there's a real thing here that's basically saying oh you know it, it's like a parody of prison reform isn't it by saying we can just get people out in two weeks but you see, i think you know i'm quite sold on the sort of philosophical idea that you know um it's very hard to very hard to sort of commend a practice that essentially doesn't do anything to change a person's character or decision making or anything like that it merely causes them this terrible sickness mm. and pain and I think it says paralysis feeling like you're going to die or something like yes. that you know, it's really really vicious response but I think you know is there is there supposed to be a view that some people just can't be changed can't yeah, learn and abilities. so on yeah um, so yeah I don't know there's because there's no I don't certainly in the film there's no clear sort of right answer once he gets cured of the cure we're back at square one really in the the film in terms of his mm-hmm. his behavior um so i don't think either of those is supposed to be a good thing either 
you know, subjecting him to the method or un- undoing the damage. And it also made me think about this term, uh, cruel and unusual punishment, which is, I think, in the, um, I don't know where, if at all, because we have a constitution in this country where it comes in, but I know in the United States um, that that's the wording of the constitution, that they're not allowed to inflict cruel or unusual punishment um, onto people. And that's where, you know, questions about what sort of um, things you can do when you're executing somebody and so on. But this struck me as actually, you know, from the outside of thinking the the outcomes, which is all the minister seems to care about, the outcome of removing the danger uh, that Alex poses is enough. But the process for getting there seems to be completely overlooked. And mm. like no one quite seems to know what happens behind those closed doors. You mentioned music, and I think that that is so important for both the book and the the film. We talked there about Beethoven's Ninth. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that one of the things, going back to the film, that is just so powerful about it is the way in which kind of like music and almost like dance effectively is incorporated mm-hmm. into the the violence. What did you think that that added, I suppose, the way in which, so the the fight scene with the other gang, for example, yes, um, is a really strong example of that. The setting of that is is specific to the film as well. It's just a warehouse, I think, in the in the book, but in the film, it's turned into like a stage, like a cabaret sort of scene. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, clearly trying to make it very performative, yeah, and also in yeah. the bit where um, F. Alexander is being beaten up. And prior to the rape of his wife, there's the singing in the rain dance, yes. of course, as well. There's a sort of, yeah, I guess it all kind of plays up sort of satire, but like almost like slapstick comedy-esque, mm-hmm. like uh, kind of effect. I mean, uh, I think a lot of the soundtrack actually contains a lot of like music by Rostini, um, mm-hmm. especially with the like uh, fast motion sex scene and the slow motion yeah. fight between the two gangs and also with the invasion of the cat lady's home I think also sort of all draws those like scenes of violence and sex together mm-hmm. but um, I mean I think we're talking about how it's almost kind of choreographed I mean I think pairing it with classical music which I think officially has like this association of like a high society mm-hmm. properness I, I mean it's almost like a kind of delicacy I think that might be like part of Alex's fantasy of like indulging in these sort of novel acts I don't know maybe it's I'm, a bit I'm, at the at the very end when he gets given a st- when he's back in hospital and he's been given a stereo and mm-hmm. the ninth is played uh then he uh describes it in a way that i think is really um powerful so it's then brothers it came oh bliss bliss in heaven oh it was gorgeousness mm-hmm. and gorgeousness made flesh the trombones crunched red gold under my bed and behind my gulliver the trumpets three wise silver flames and there by the door the timps rolling through my guts and out again crunched like candy thunder it was like a bird of rarest spun heaven metal or like silvery wine flowing in a spaceship gravity all nonsense now as i slushied i knew such lovely pictures uh there were veeks and petitzas lying on the ground screaming for mercy and i was smecking all over my rot and grinding my boots into their tortured litzos and there were naked devotskas ripped and creaching against walls and i plunged like a slugger into them so that's one of the voiceovers of one of the bits where he's listening to mm. um beethoven and in the film, of course, we get, you know, the playing out, as we've said, of sort of seeds of violence in his own head, influenced by um, uh, different triggers mm. as well. So we can sort of picture these these things that he um, is describing. And I, I find it interesting. I think it's two things. One is to pick up on your idea about kind of, like, yeah, kind of high culture being used in sort of low violence. Um, mm. 
And I think that one of the things that perhaps Burgess and then by extension Kubrick in the film is trying to do is basically say, oh, all of this talk about how if we get young people to appreciate the arts and, um, mm. uh, you know, listen to stuff that isn't, I don't know, like ultraviolet oh, rap yeah. or whatever, they'll not have these these aggressive, um, like aggressive tendencies. Yeah. Uh, whereas it's exactly, you know, the music that brings out these uh, images. And of course, I think the yeah. same kind of parody is being done with the Bible. It's like, oh, read your Bible and you won't feel any, obviously anybody who knows their Old Testament mm. well will know that it's full of truly horrible things. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, um, um, apart from you know, in the New Testament, the seeds of crucifixion and, and so on, but the Old Testament and the violence uh, there and uh, incense and rape and um, polygamy and all sorts of things that, um, you know, perhaps are not going to inspire people in quite the way that the simple-minded sort of, oh, read your Bible and all will be well uh, language implies. So, yeah, so I think there's something there. But then there's a flip side, which is in the film, I couldn't decide whether by pairing music like, so Rossini's interesting because obviously opera, again, mm. full of violence and death and yeah. things like that, depending which operas you're watching. But, you know, if you, mm. you know, we're talking about Rossini or whatever, lots of, you know, classical music from, you know, the era of Beethoven being written with battle imagery in mind or, or whatever. So, you know, th- there's a definite um, link there. But there's also something about the violence almost being lessened for the viewer when it's choreographed into either the slow motion or turned into a dance effectively on the screen. Mm. I don't know. Do you think it reduces the impact of it for the viewer? Oh, yeah, I, I, because it feels less organic, you could yes. even say. Yeah. It, is, it is almost like uh, not even a censoring, mm. but sort of... Yeah, I think the impact is sort of less shocking just because, mm. you know, it, yeah, it feels like less real and more mm. staged. Um, so, I, yeah, I do agree. I think that, I think that sort of element does sort of make it less, yeah. Sort of it it reminded me of, I don't know, because I don't particularly enjoy ultra violent films. Um, mm. Generally, first you say ultra violence, I'm very Alex. <laughs> don't really enjoy uh, violent films or films where violence feels gratuitous anyway. Yes. And yet, A Clockwork Orange doesn't ever feel like that in, mm. in my head. And it reminded me of did you ever see the film Sin City? I haven't, no. Um, so, one of the things about Sin City was that the the aesthetic is built on the graphic novel that it, it comes from. And the aesthetic is so beautiful that it somehow makes it again less because it's less real and because it's sort of moved into this particular visual world the fact that it's highly violent doesn't seem to have the same impact um for me as a as a viewer and I wonder whether this said something about well almost like we were seeing through Alex's eyes in a way that he sees violence as something beautiful and akin to listening to Beethoven's Ninth and therefore we're actually kind of moving into his his world way of seeing things which when you start thinking about it like that it's actually massively Mm. uncomfortable Mm. because we're not having the sort of vehement reaction that we should have um Mm. and likewise you know when he's cutting off um mrs alexander's uh red jumpsuit Mm. when you know and again there's something almost like has the potential to be humorous like when he cuts the the like nipples off the Mm. off the top and the very fact that that's juxtaposed with the scene of, of extreme violence could either be seen as mm. incredibly clever or, mm. you know, and or incredibly problematic. So we have talked about quite a lot of the things that I feel this 
lends us. There's so much we could talk about. Shall we finish by talking about the end? Yes. So for those who are familiar with the film, which I expect is most people, uh, it's worth knowing that the film is based on the American edition of the book. And Burgess has written about this. The American edition of the book was 20 chapters long instead of 21 chapters long because the final chapter was omitted. And the film therefore ends at the same point as that um, edition does. But Burgess's original British edition ends with a further chapter at the end of which he's basically got a new gang. He's um, basically hanging out in the same places, living the same kind of life. And he sort of expresses essentially getting bored of it. And then he starts imagining having a child and how he would talk to that child about kind of understanding yeah. the things that he he had he had done and so on and he essentially concludes it with he needed to go and finding some devotchka or other who would be a mother to this son i would have to start on that tomorrow i kept thinking that was something like <laughs> new to do that was something i would have to get started on a new like chapter beginning that's what it's going to be then brothers as i come to the like end of this tale you have been everywhere with your little Drew Alex, suffering with him, and you vidied some of the most Grasny Bratchney's old bog ever made, all onto your old Drew Alex. And all it was was that I was young. But now I end this story, brothers. I am not young. No, no longer. Oh no. Alex like groweth up. Oh yes. So a potential future for this new grown-up Alex at uh-huh. the age of I don't know, probably your age, Marsha. And <laughs> <laughs> he's now like, oh, I think I have a child and darling. Mm. Uh, you know, not necessarily because he thinks that he could like make another child better. He actually thinks that a child would probably um just behave in exactly the same way because he thinks that every <laughs> generation is going to behave yeah. the same way. But the film doesn't do that. So what did you think about the end of the film? Um, and do you think we need the extra chapter? I mean, I I don't think it changes necessarily the meaning or the sort of commentary of the story. I think the final chapter really kind of, it sort of hints towards this express for a more conventional life and, you know, whether Alex's sort of rehabilitation is, is it really of his own, own free will or mm-hmm. just like a product of the conditioning that he un, un, under had like undergone. Yeah, I I, I'm. I think with with the film, I think it's it's a good place to leave off. Because I think it, it focuses on like um. It's it still focuses. It sort of leaves the uh, audience pondering the how, how the state sort of um dealt with the sort of fallout with this like experimental conditioning and how Alex at the end of the day was just another pawn in the state's overall Good, sort of yeah. game. So oh uh, yeah, I, I I think the the final chapter I think takes away from that final conclusion, especially with the way that both uh, F. Alexander used him for his political gains mm-hmm. and then the government used him as, you know, used their power to sort of gain him as damage control on what was going on with their political agenda. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think that that's, you know, that I think is a really important observation, actually, that, yes, the film, yes, it lends, it ends, like, personal on Alex insofar as, uh, you know, he says, oh, yes, I was I was cured, whatever. Um, I He was just back to his old ways. But you're right that it focuses in on that scene of, you know, him sitting, like, having this photo taken with the minister and, and so on, having... You know, covered in the bandages that were caused by the fact that F. Alexander first tried to um, manipulate him into kind of being a uh, an anti-government 
token and that i think is again even given even more space in the book um and then the fact that f alexander basically becomes you know i think again making some sort of point that people victims want to 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 inflict terrible things upon their the, the predators that have harmed them and therefore that scene of the the playing of the beethoven through the floor and mm. f alexander looking madder and madder as I said, it does rather remove any sense of, you know, sympathy for him as a as a victim somehow for the mm. viewer, which is perhaps a problem as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely, um, uh, you know, I think that this idea that the state is now going to use Alex for a new purpose, which is essentially mm-hmm. that they're worried about losing the next election, but you know, Alex can basically speak in certain ways that will uh, alleviate this problem. So yes, I think that it does focus in on that. That basically, you know, he's he's another pawn of the state, and I think that comes through very strongly in the film. And I wonder whether for the book, because Burgess is highly critical of of the state in general, describes himself as an anarchist, perhaps he wanted to move the the narrative away from that of the state and mm. back into that of the the individual although it's still like alex within a, a system where he suddenly thinks you know having a child would be a good yes. idea it's just, you know, um, again sort of alluding to this idea that this is something cyclical generational mm-hmm. violence even though obviously his parents seem to have you know pretty weird and boring but um um, but they really want Joe. They don't really want Alex as their son. But I think that the thing that I have a real problem with with that ending in the book is this this thing that's come up quite a lot, which is basically, oh, people who are young behave badly mm. and they grow out of it. And you know, yeah, they maybe kill people, but um, yeah, they could become decent members of society. It's great on the narrative of rehabilitation, not so good on how you view young people and how society views. Mm young people yeah you're an actual young person do you have any thoughts about the way in which society has a view about its younger generations like how do older generations view younger generations I mean I think especially what I've observed most recently is how the older generation treats sort of the gen z work ethic and I think Mm -hmm. there's reaching as as far as I've been politically aware mm-hmm. in you know in my years uh, I feel like we're reaching the sort of stage of like this overworking and hyper sort of productivity mm-hmm. and like I feel like as though my generation is starting to reject that notion as that is the only way to sort of go out and live especially with how it's more like harder and harder to get you know to even buy property mm. or be able to afford that um that you know that you know this sort of notion of work hard and you can achieve one thing and another just does not seem tangible anymore but then yeah yeah and so- I think alongside that is this idea that you know somehow you I know we talked before I think about like quiet quitting and the idea if you yes. know, it's, it's somehow seen as not doing your job if you literally yeah. do your job um and yeah there's a bit yeah if you did you do the equivalent of what you're getting paid for yeah. and not you know it's, yeah. I, I don't know I think the yeah hugely and the fact yeah. that sort of the yeah the whole entire quiet quitting and mm-hmm. sort of rejection of like overtime and going mm-hmm. above and beyond is just mm-hmm. yeah why why would you so I don't know yeah I think that's there's it. definitely sort of an idea of like laziness around the youth yes. I think that's yeah, every generation that's... well that's, that's every... another point isn't it does every yeah. like every generation look on the generation below them below. And think, you know yeah. um oh young people these days yes um, yes I yeah I don't know I mean I think that it, it's a very interesting sort of we take you know Clockwork Orange is sort of an extreme version of that sort mm. of saying you know oh well you know everyone every generation has its sort of 
problems but they'll probably grow up to be all right once they grow out of this or whatever but um yeah I think that 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 is is something that the film perhaps rather less does because Alex I think is feels a lot more unique cool okay right so what is the takeaway message of this film oh uh well I think that there's a, there's a number of sort of takeaway messages but I think the main one is about free will and choice mm-hmm. um and especially around how to rehabilitate people who've committed crimes, mm-hmm. especially with a focus on how someone who might have broken the law mm-hmm. still should have their human rights, mm-hmm. you know, respected. And maybe sort of ideas of how someone might be redeemed back into society mm-hmm. um, and how after someone's committed a crime, they can move forward from then on yeah yeah I I I would be with you I think that that is something that that I would I would definitely uh want to take away from this even Mm -hmm. though as I say it's not clearly sort of like it's not evidently moralizing in its way so we're not like yeah yeah, it's more like how do you sort of feel after you've been confronted with this rather than what it's kind of told us told us yeah and yeah and I think uh, you know going back right back to where we started I think it's left me really thinking about okay so as somebody who believes that societal situations and circumstance play a great deal into criminal behavior and if we were to say yes but you know what if that's more complex than we think what if it's actually also about the way in which a young person particularly perhaps might be influenced by what appear to be cultural norms around them but mm-hmm. which are kind of consumed in a an unfiltered or you know uh, an immature way. So what happens when you go back to our point about you know pornographic imagery? What happens when that is consumed? Uh, what does it do to people's attitude to violence? What happens when perhaps you know there's something here about the like the listlessness, the purposelessness of young people in, in a generation? What happens when that happens to to you? Fits quite nicely with what you were saying about Gen Z. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely something here about looking at an overall society and saying, what are we doing to each generation that might affect their behaviour in certain ways? Um, And what can or should a state's response be to that? Yes. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Thank you very much for listening to this, to our 11th episode, um, focusing on a clockwork orange, I know. so please tune in for our next one uh leave the world behind which i think will be released on the 18th of february um sounds plausible uh it's on netflix it's a film on netflix with julia roberts in it i'm very excited to watch it actually i haven't haven't got around to it but Mm -hmm. i'm very excited to dissect it um and also please consider supporting us um uh as we do this voluntarily but um you know with our own lives (laughs) it's <laughs> the um support from our listeners i think there's what, what's the what where's the what's the support so yeah. best place to look is to follow us on instagram, follow uh, us on instagram. at jp and current affairs then go to links in bio where you can do all sorts of lovely things like find our coffee link find yes. our Substack link yes um and obviously you can find the link to the podcast which uh, you can then share widely with your friends mm-hmm. and family um and if you rate and review us on whatever pod platform you use that's also good support Mm -hmm. yes and finally uh don't forget to read our next uh newsletter which is released on the 11th of february never a week goes by (laughs) in people's lives when they don't have some exciting contribution exactly 
from us into their lives. Exactly. So please tune in for all yeah. these new things. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Marcia.